0: I'm Sharon Betters, and this is a Help and Hope podcast produced by Barking Ministries. You know, I'm 72 years old, and I think that as we live our life, we have expectations, we have dreams, we have a vision for what it's going to be like when we hit that season of aging. And yet often when we arrive, it doesn't look anything like what we expected. And, you know, I wonder how do we change the potential bitterness, the anger, the hurt, the disappointments, into a season of contentment and trust that the Lord has a reason for the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Today, my guest is Barbara Thompson, and Barbara Thompson is one of the storytellers in the book that Susan Hunt and I wrote called Aging with Grace, Flourishing in an Anti-Aging Culture. And we developed a series of five minute videos with each of our storytellers where we asked them one question about aging. And as Barbara was answering our question, I thought this, we have to unpack this. There is so much more that I know the Lord has given to her about what it means to age with grace and to flourish in an anti-aging culture. And so Barbara and I are going to have a conversation about expectations and goals and plans. She answered the question, how do our expectations, plans, and goals for aging influence our flourishing? And so that is going to be the theme that we wrap our conversation around. So Barbara, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, before we jump into our discussion uh, about our topic, tell us something uh, about the life you are
1: living right now. Thanks, Sharon. It's so good to be with you. I am recently moved the day that COVID shut down my parents' assisted living. We moved them from Louisiana after 40 years to Jackson, Mississippi, where our son and his family live. We just sort of shoved everything in our house and started caregiving for my parents. We had been caring for them, but they had lived in a facility. And so at this point, they were under our roof. In that six months time since we moved, my parents passed away 11 days apart. And so now we are trying to adjust and figure out what it means to live in a whole new place I have one friend who's been so faithful, and I tell her, I'm so sorry you're my only friend in Jackson, and what it means to go to a new church, to make new relationships, how does God want to use this home that he has given us? So we are in um, a state of transition in the midst of the same chaos that all of you are in with COVID.
0: What a time to make such a change. I just have this vision of you guys saying, hurry up, hurry up put it all in the truck, we got to get out of here before everything shuts down, which is what we have certainly experienced across our country and across the world. Well, Barbara, I've known you for over 20 years and you've had a big impact on my life. And talk about a little bit about that later. But I know that before you became a Christian, you were a feminist. And so tell us a little bit about how meeting Jesus changed your worldview, changed your life?
1: I was raised in the church and graduated from high school and graduated from church. So I had gone through college, almost completely gone through graduate school, which basically was a degree in secular humanism because I, I have a master's in social work. I was in a marriage that was very, very broken, a long that time and through a whole series of amazing providential circumstances, Jesus arrested me and he used his word and an evangelistic focused pastor who made the claims of Christ and then began to introduce my husband and me to the doctrines of grace. And for the first time, the hymns and Different sermons and Sunday school lessons that I had listened to as a child began to make sense in the faith because they started with God and his plan and his claims on me. He picked me up, turned me around, and set me on a whole different path. There's not ever been a single moment or day in my life the same since then.
0: Well, one of the things that I am so grateful to you for is your passion for helping marriages to be solid and to be focused on the Lord. And I remember hearing you say more than once that the husband God gave you is the best sanctifying force in your life. And the first time I heard that, I thought, what in the world is she talking about? So I think I figured it out since then, but why don't you explain that from your perspective?
1: I think part of God's plan of sanctification in our lives, of growth, of growing us up in him is the relationships he gives us. And of course, there's not one more important than marriage. And I remember somehow, well, the this, this spirit used many, many books and self-help kinds of things about marriage after I became a believer. And I was hungry for it because my marriage was so broken. And I understood that we were to stay married, but I resisted the whole idea of staying married for the sake of the child or staying married for just because it was the right thing to do. I believed that God had more for our marriage. And one of the pivotal things was understanding in my prayer life that Mark's habits and differences and even his sin was not meant for me to correct or change him but it was meant for my growing the fruit of the spirit that the lord would use those things more than any other more than even a child he would use that to grow the fruit of the spirit in me love joy peace patience kindness gentleness if i couldn't grow those at home then they were just false fruit in um in the outside world
0: that i remember once i understood what you were saying i was actually happy that I saw those hard places in a completely different way. And I think that in this season of life uh, where we are today, there might be a lot of women who are struggling with those hard places that they see in their husbands. They might be spending more time together, um, more, uh, you know, less focused time working. They might be retired and those kinds of things. And so all of those little quirks and differences and they're amplified. And so it's a time when that happens to go back to the basics and to go back to remembering this man's gift for me that God gave to me to help me learn how to be more like Jesus. And so that's that is a very encouraging thing for me to think about. Mm-hmm. Barbara, when I met you, you were a sought-after speaker, you were an author, a teacher, a national women's ministry you were really out in front. And I know that today, if you wanted to do that all over again, your schedule would fill up very quickly because you bring such wisdom to any time that you speak. But then it's, it kind of felt like you kind of just went away, like you were not in that spotlight anymore. What happened? Was that intentional? What changed in your life?
1: I think... Even 22 years ago, my my sister, actually 26 years ago, my sister was diagnosed with breast cancer. And the script at that point got flipped in my family in that I was likely going to be and subsequently became the sole caregiver for my parents. And they were already in their 70s when my, they were my age, basically, when my sister uh, passed away. And so that became impossible. I also still had a vocation and was still working at that point. And it it just became impossible for me to spin all those plates. And it also would have been easier to stay on the circuit. And I struggled with it. I didn't want to give up. I would still commit myself to doing a retreat or going to a leadership meeting. And then when the time came, I would realize that I was running on fumes, that that was not any longer the place where I was called without saying no to more important priorities and things that the Lord had for my attention. I would begin to ask myself the question, who else can do this? And the answer almost always was, there are lots of women, older, younger peers, who can do this retreat. There's no one else who can be Barbara to her parents.
0: Well, I, I don't know if it was you who told me this, but I remember hearing when you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to another. And so I think both of those asked that question, what am I saying no to if I say yes to this? And is there someone else who can do this? And I remember when my role started changing and it was a grievous thing for me because I loved being uh, with women. I loved the teaching that I received. I loved connecting, hearing their stories. And so it was a hard thing to make that transition. How did you handle that hard place scripturally? Did you go, was there a go-to scripture for you? How did you know that, you could grieve over it, but it was still the right
1: pathway for you. I think that's about the time that Psalm 84 probably became a bedrock psalm and go-to psalm for me. And especially it says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my Lord. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. And I've since unpacked that in lots of many ways of what that really means, because it was written by the Levites who were literally the doorkeepers in the temple. And it spoke of journey and attention to God's calling, but also realizing that I had to grieve it and that it was a season and that God was so gracious. I mean, he was abundantly merciful to me in those days that I got to spend with women all over this nation. And he expanded my life in ways that I still have echoes of every day. But it was a season and I was grieving and I was sad. And I also knew I couldn't because it was better to be the doorkeeper than to be outside of what God wanted me to
0: do. Psalm 84 is one of my most favorite passages. I love the verse where it talks about us being on pilgrimage, that those who were on pilgrimage would dig holes to capture the water as they went through the desert, and they would make sure that the holes were deep enough to capture water for those coming behind them.
1: Mm. And
0: I see you and so many of those women as a doorkeeper, but as a pilgrim who has dug those holes uh, and, and calls back that God is sovereign and we can trust him. And that brings me to another uh, really life-transforming thing for me is our theology. How important is your theology in this season of life? And how important was it for you when you were making those changes? How did your theology equip you to make those changes and to be where you are today?
1: But now the women's ministry has this great way of saying it, of thinking biblically and living covenantally. Back then, we didn't have that succinct phrase for it, but it's still the fact. I can remember Susan Tone echoing my head that we are products of our theology. So the reason I made that decision had nothing to do with my sacrificial love for my parents or my family or... Any other self-reason, it had to do with what God says, who I am, and my identity, especially my identity as an ally to my husband and in my family and in my church. That that is the opposite of what feminist Barbara learned. That it is a joy and a pleasure and a peace to be an ally, to be the necessary helper ally. In those places.
0: I love that. I love that you're reminding me of that, that we are a product of our theology. And as you know, a few months after I came on the national women's ministry team, our 16-year-old son, Mark, and his friend, Kelly, were in a fatal car accident. And God placed me in the middle of you and those other women before I knew I was going to need you the way that I did. And that's what kept coming back to me was, what is your theology? Do you believe that God is sovereign and he can be trusted? And I remember one conversation and it was with Susan. We keep bringing up her name, but I was so angry with people who I thought should be encouraging, in particular, my husband, and they weren't. And I was, boy, I poured it all out, all this anger and venom. And Susan's response was, well, we're just going to have to pray that the Lord will show you and Chuck how to teach the church to be encouragers. And I remember saying, you pray about it. I'm not praying about that. I was so angry for that response. But really what she was doing was reminding me of my theology, you know, that God had created me to be a blessing to others and through the hard places, you know, with the comfort that I had received. And so when we talk about aging and our expectations and our longings for what we think aging is going to be like, and we get there and we find out. It just isn't gonna happen uh, because of the losses and the changes. Our theology will carry us. Um, Mm -hmm. It goes beyond our emotions. No, it goes beyond our feelings and it goes back to the black and white truth of scripture. Mm -hmm. And I'm Mm -hmm. so grateful for you, Barbara, in reminding me of that importance of our worldview. Well, as you took on this role, in kind of behind the scenes from where you were. I know that you were very active still in your church. And uh, how did you transition into taking with you what you had been doing already? You were already pouring your life into women, discipling, investing, you were a life giver. And now you are on a much smaller scale in a local church, caring for your parents, figuring out what that is going to look like. How did you transition from the national to the local level.
1: In some ways sharing is harder and yet again God in His faithfulness put me in relationship with women that I had more access and time for if I wasn't traveling all the time or writing something that was for another forum and so I did a lot of small group which is my wheelhouse because I have a graduate degree in group process and I invested a lot of time in smaller groups and the lives of individual women and they invested in me. The other thing is that I was still working and I had colleagues at work whom God gave me great collegiality with and opportunity to have an influence with my what they considered strange worldviews. And I think also in my family, because my sister had passed away. I have two nieces and my son was married. And so there were women in my midst that it was just do the next right thing. Be involved, be aware, be on alert that you will have those conversations. I think part of it is the training, again, not necessarily theological, although it's based in Titus 2, that it was up to me because even though I didn't think of myself as always as an older woman, I had gained moral authority and I had to take the initiative.
0: That's such a good way of putting it. I wanna switch gears a little bit and ask you how caregiving impacted your
1: marriage. It had a subtle beginnings. About 15 years ago, Mark and I committed to having my parents come to lunch every Sunday. They were still in their home and but my mom just really didn't want to cook much and so they came for years to our home every sunday to eat and and that began this sort of transition of roles they eventually moved into assisted living and their care increased almost by the month their needs for care and because of mark's Relationship with them that had been forged at that lunch table on Sundays, he just stepped in. And I guess the biggest negative impact or challenging impact, I should say, the biggest challenge for me, especially, has been this is not how I thought our marriage in this season would be. I thought it would be more focused on us and not so outward focused. And It's been required of us that we've had very few trips where we could just, without any concerns or anxieties, go away for, and certainly none more than a week. And I had dreamed of those. I had dreamed of having him to myself, of having slow mornings and beautiful views and nice nature walks. And instead, we were doing laundry, running errands, keeping doctor's appointments. And Mark just took his lion's share. And I would say the challenge in that for me has been accepting his serving me and my parents, but serving me through serving my parents. I had this sense that I should be doing it. And that it was too much to ask of him. He has never felt that way.
0: You remind me of this quote I saw that said, um, I'm doing too much. I'm not doing enough. And I think that's the battle that we struggle with. I'm 72 and I still struggle with guilt because I'm not doing enough. It feels like I'm not doing enough. And for you to have that kind of struggle of, I should be doing this. But what a beautiful way of him demonstrating love for you, uh, along with your parents. What, what a gift. And so the challenge and the blessing of making those decisions years before And watching as God continued to bless you through those times. And isn't it interesting that now that you might have the freedom, we are dealing with the isolation of COVID. So all the places we might want to go, we can't go anyway. So this this too shall pass. Well, Barbara, as we wrap up, I'd like for you to speak personally to the woman who's listening, who is a caregiver and maybe she doesn't have a husband like you. She's really on her own. She's exhausted. She's dealing with resentment, anger, bitterness, because this is not the way it was supposed to be. What encouragement, what comfort can you
1: give to her? The first thing I'd say is you're not alone and you're not exceptional. Even with all the props and mercies and provision that God made, I struggled with all of that same thing, all of it. And it is... The hidden epidemic, maybe even pandemic at this point, of people our age, whether it's the husband whose wife is inexorably leaving him because of her dementia, or if it's the parents of adult children with disabilities who daily face the demands, but also the anxiety of what is going to happen, who's going to do this. And it is tough. It is really tough. So the thing I say to you is go to God's word, go to the Psalms, lament. God longs for our lament. And this is one of the first things I remember learning from Sharon Betters is that God is pleased with our lament. And I would hear her and listen to her and think, what am I supposed to say to her? I wasn't supposed to say anything. Just enter in and listen and sit with her lament until she was answered by the Lord like Job was. And so I'm saying that same thing to you. Go to his word, use his words of lament, and then tell somebody. Tell somebody safe. There are online groups. There are churches with different groups. Even without leaving your home, if you're dealing with agencies, they almost all have social workers. The social worker who came to our home the last six months, was a believer who was a delight to my heart. She walked in the first time and said, you are in trouble. And I burst into tears because she was right. I was in trouble. She encouraged me to ways to get better sleep, ways to to get some exercise, those kinds of things. And it's beyond that sort of platitude of self-care. It is really survivor care. Steffi Box says in her book or somewhere that they've said it's the Delta airline principle. You put your own mask on. And God used all of those people to help me float during that time. Not being alone is the biggest help that is so isolating. And now it's triply isolating because of COVID. So find somebody to call and to talk to. The other thing that was so helpful to me is that I have a couple of 500 mile friends who would listen to whatever was happening to me that day. And I could blurt it out and they didn't have to tell me anything, they could just hold it. Hold my anxiety and my frustration and my anger at that.
0: Barbara, I'm so sad that we have to wrap up our conversation In fact, I'm trying to think of ways to get you back so we can talk more about life and uh, your journey and the lessons that you have that make such a difference in sharing with others. I'm Sharon Betters and you have been joining us for the Help and Hope podcast, the conversation with Barbara Thompson. You can learn more about Barbara by going to markink.org and checking out her bio. And also we're gonna have a link to the book that she wrote Also, if you want to hear more about Aging with Grace, go to agingwithgrace.online. That's agingwithgrace.online, where you're going to find conversations like this one with older women and also a series of five-minute videos with older women that we call Aging with Grace, Ask an Older Woman. So that's agingwithgrace.online. Thank you so much for joining us.